Hi, this is Alistair Stewart. And this is Brock Wilbur. And you're listening to Caring Into the Void, the podcast where we get together, tell each other about a weird or dark story we've heard, and then try and find the silver lining, or flip it into something that, while possibly not positive, will at least be productive. Hi, Brock. How's your week been? Productive, if not positive. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how many times this week, out of nowhere, that, that one just popped in for me. I was like, well... This is indeed getting done, but this is not the way I wanted to go about it. We had a break-in at our office, and uh, oh, it was uh, yesterday, and I gave everyone the day off from work, so I was the only one in there. And I'd been in there for about 30 minutes without knowing that we'd had a break-in, and then suddenly three cops walked directly into my office. Not into the office as a whole, but into the room that I have. And I was like, huh, uh, three large Men with weapons. Hello, uh, did I did I buzz you in? What's happening here? I thought I was very very alone. It was actually shocking that I had pants on at all. So was, that that was probably uh, for the best. You know, empty empty office. There's no one coming in. Why would I need to dress up for police? Of course, yeah. But yeah, we're, our our office is actually directly above a pharmacy, uh, and so the night before. Uh, some dudes broke in and sort of went through us to get down to where all the drugs live. Uh, but on the way, they were just sort of like, what if we like looked through everything, just in case, just in case. Uh, and they didn't really get away with anything from our place. But like, um, boy, how did they mess up the pharmacy? But also, I have just a crap ton of records in my office. Uh, and I'm just like, this is the second time that our place has been broken into in like two years, uh, and every time I'm just like, it's really good that they didn't know the value of that first pressing uh, color variant vinyl for Death From Above's uh, first album. (laughs) Just like, there's so many records here that if if you understood what you were looking at, you could be kind of Uh, (laughs) semi-rich. You really really pass that up to go after uh, cancer medication. Yeah, I I don't think that they knew that the pharmacy beneath us mostly only serves cancer patients. Like, it doesn't really have a lot of fun party stuff. So I don't know what they took with them, but I think that they're going to be disappointed with the haul eventually. (laughs) See, all I can think of, first of all, I'm really sorry that happened because that is shit. And secondly, the only thing I can think of is a couple of very disgruntled, like, low level criminals and one of them going you know what dave you know what turns out i was right about the records think about how much meth we could have got with that black flag album dave think (laughs) uh while we're doing an intro on this one i I do want to uh thank uh our uh our podcast editor will uh will this is uh his 40th episode with us uh an adult man now uh um been with the show uh, almost the entire time, uh, and I got to meet him for the first time ever uh, two weeks ago in Chicago. Uh, we met up at a uh, Chicago restaurant uh, where, where everything was both way too expensive and way too grimy, and uh, we had just a disgusting time together, and I kissed him on his stupid face so many times. So, uh, Will, thank you for making this show everything that it is. <laughs> thank you, Will. As, as the designated newbie, I am... Um hugely impressed by your ongoing professionalism and ability to make me sound like I know what I'm talking about. You are I, clearly a magic user, and I fear your skills. I'm not sure you qualify as a newbie. I always go off the homicide life on the street rule, where I think huh. about five seasons in, they finally get a new transfer in, 
And I think like halfway through the season, he goes, I've been here six months. Why am I still being called new guy? And Bayless, who transfers in in the very first episode, goes, I was here five years before they stopped calling me it. When did they stop calling you it? The day you arrived. <laughs> I, I I always liked that. I love that you have a rule set for that. Yeah, that's, that's a pretty good gold standard, I suppose. Sure. <laughs> oh, the amount of, st- of homicide life on the street moments that live rent-free in my head. Almost all of which are Meldrick Lewis is done with your bullshit nonsense. <laughs> This is this is just my favorite part of the week. Uh, do you have do you have a story for us this week? <laughs> I do, I do indeed. This week, Brock, I am here to talk about balls, specifically balls pyramid. Balls pyramid is what is called, and I actually have a notional qualification in geology. It's a very bad one, but I do have one uh, called an erosional remnant of a shield volcano and caldera. It is 20 kilometers off Lord Howe's Island. Don't worry, no one's heard of Lord Howe's Island either. Uh, It's just to the southeast of it. It's in the Pacific. And the best way to describe Bull's Pyramid is it is what geology would look like if geology shitposted. (laughs) Also, I'm glad that you said the thing that I have to internalize so often on the show, which is that, like, I'm about to say the name of of a city or a desert or an entire country fully wrong because I've never heard of it before and I hope that no one calls me on it and they're just like how do you never hear of Egypt Egypt it, it's it's a place like it's right there why would you why would you be saying it wrong like that I'm like I've never left my home country I've never seen the world. please I'm so sorry I'm so white it's it's so annoying I know what I am <laughs> I am in September going to be spending three weeks in Italy, and I will become the embodiment of the finest joke in the Indiana Jones franchise. Uh, it's in Last Crusade, and it's the moment where Marcus Brody escapes, and Indy looks at the bad guy straight in the eyes and goes, "You don't understand. That's Marcus Brody. He he spent his life studying this area. He knows every local custom. He knows every local dialect. He's a ghost. He's already gone." Smash cut to Denim Elliott in a bright white suit, five inches taller than everyone else around him, stumbling the wrong way down a railway station platform, yelling, Hello! (laughs) Does anyone speak English? Oh, this is my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) So, Bull's Pyramid. Right. Um, listen Listen to the dimensions of this thing. It is 562 meters high. Sure. It is 1,100 meters long. Mm-hmm. It's only 300 meters across. It is the co- tallest volcanic stack in the world. Somehow, and I am disgusted to learn this, no supervillain has ever been based there. And when you look at photos of it, your brain will, I promise, yell the phrase, Big Rock Angie, as loud as it possibly can. <laughs> By the way, uh, it was named after this uh, Royal Navy Lieutenant Henry Lidgebird Ball, and I really think they chose the wrong name f- for the island there, because how fucking great would Lidgebird's Pyramid sound, who reported discovering in 1788. This was the same voyage where Ball also reported discovering Lord Howe Island, and frankly, I'm pretty sure Lord Howe got the better deal on rocks being named after them, given that Lord Howe Island looks like the sleepy idyll of a coastal town where horrible murders take place in British crime thrillers, and Ball's Pyramid looks like the murder weapon. And yet, life finds a way, even there. We need to talk for a moment about, and this is where I fuck up the Latin, uh, Dryococcylus australis. Or, as we will be referring to it from here on out, the Lord Howe Island stick insect. Or, as it's also known, 
the land lobster, or, as it's also known, I swear, the sausage bug. This, the Lord Howe Island stick insect is a large, flightless stick insect. It is glossy brown, it's sometimes pale yellow, and at, at over 150 millimeters in length, it's big, it's nocturnal, and it's rubbish. Uh, it shelters in trees during the day, and when it thrives, it fucking thrives. There's actually a report from 1916 from a naturalist called Arthur Lee on visiting Lord Howe Island, who uh, reported 68 of them in a single tree hollow, which is nearly very nice. Thank you for that. That's the one I'm proudest of. <laughs> my my God, you are just you're just firing on every goddamn cylinder this morning. <laughs> I, uh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> The, now, the Lord Howe stick insect had one big problem. It's delicious. Oh, no. <laughs> At least it's delicious to black rats, who it must be said have the best Latin name ever with Rattus Rattus. In 1918, uh, a vessel honestly, called that one's just a relief because it, 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 we're going beyond getting a country name wrong, and you've also gone into my other least favorite place, which is foreign language, uh, which you're equally being like, look, I, the, the Latin... Rattus, Rattus. That's just that's just a gimme. That's a thank you, thank you, Latin for that one. I choose to believe that when you know Doctor Latin or whoever it was named that particular one, he said Rattus, what Rattus, and the intern just wrote it down, and no one ever. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Just fucking go. Jesus, it's crazy. Um, yeah, Rattus, Rattus, which arrived in 1918 aboard a vessel called the Macembo when it ran aground at Lord Howe Island, and it turns out that no one had fed the rats aboard. Within 30 years, basically, they wiped the population of the Lord Howe Island stick insect off Lord Howe Island. So, we're down a bug. And I I know it's very hard to look at a thing which looks like an ambulatory stick, and go, no, but, you know, bugs, vital part of the ecosystem, unless, obviously, they're on your face, in which case, get it off me, get it off me. But here's where things get interesting, because in 1964, a group of climbers who I choose to believe were our world's version of John Hammond from Jurassic Park climbed Ball's Pyramid. They took photos. One of the photos they took was of a recently dead Lord Howe Island stick insect. Now, like I say, this Ball's Pyramid is miles away from everywhere else. To the best of my knowledge, stick insects don't fly. So I, no one's entirely sure how they got there, but they got there. And quite sensibly, and also because, you know, fucking look at the thing. No one went near uh, Bull's Pyramid until 2001, and a group of researchers boarded the island, risked <laughs> risked death, basically, and confirmed that there, are, there were fewer than 30 of the stick insect there, but they were there. Now, what ensued was the world's most careful breeding program, which remains I, I ongoing. I was terrified that that was what you were going to say next. I was like, that's not... Because at this point, it's it's not that they're John Hammond, it's that they're Dennis Nedry going, stick, stupid, stick. Exactly. <laughs> but trying to get them to do sex, so... <laughs> oh, it, it's, it's like fucking <laughs> pandas, man. Seriously. <laughs> These things just die a lot. A lot of the time, you just leave a pair of them in the cage and go, we'll just put the Marvin Gaye on and leave you to it. Come back. And they're, they're both, oh, they both fucking died. <laughs> oh, come on. How did they eat each other? Like, that's what it should have been. But like, my, uh. oh, they're not even carnivorous. Weirdly, this breeding program is actually going on at San Diego Zoo, who have a couple of them. And uh, in fact, I believe they have the only ones in captivity. Now, in a shocking twist, a 2014 climbing team 
who were not supposed to be there. And that's the fucking movie I want to see. <laughs> Punk climbers. Let's fast and furious this mess. That'll be great. Um, found another population of stick insects on Bulls Island. Now, thankfully, the place is so fucking inhospitable, the chances of anything running aground there aren't high. So, you know, the rat problem is not going to be a problem. But, and I've, I'm actually going to send you a video of this, folks do wingsuit past it from time to time. And the footage is kind of amazing. Okay. Which somehow a mildly rubbish insect, which everyone thought was dead, is kind of thriving on. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's like those BBC digital radio channels that no one bothers with and suddenly pr produce something brilliant. You just leave them alone and stuff happens. I kind of dig it. I always love, as soon as you introduce what the subject is of your story, writing down in my notes, like, okay, so for the title of the episode, the, the two-word summary of his segment is is this and i've had to write down five here because at no point did i understand what the subject was actually going to wind up being because it started as the pyramid <laughs> and then it became a different location and then it became the rats and then it became a bug and then it became a bug breeding ground but then it became back to the pyramid and i'm just like i yeah it's that that one was actually just a, a story so sausage pyramid the sausage pyramid <laughs> perfect I, I love how many times you were like, and this is where it gets interesting, or, and here's the twist. And it's just like, no, these are just a constant series of pivots that are equally interesting to what came before. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I stumble across stuff like this, my brain that was dropped into the Michael Crichton novels before he went all climate denialist <laughs> at far too young an age goes, yeah, fucking A, let's go. We got this. Let's get this done. I feel like Sphere is the, is the closest comparable thing to uh, somehow a climbing team being atop a pyramid that they did not intend to be on. Sphere was exactly the novel I read too damn young. Same. Oh, dude. The point in that <laughs> where you're like, oh, hey, you're, you're, the, you're the kind of salt-of-the-earth pragmatic engineer who's nice, and you've had your face eaten off by jellyfish. Oh, man. Oh, I bet Queen Latifah's <laughs> going to play you in the... God damn it! So do you have a carrying into the void to go with this very well-streamlined story from history? I do. You are alone in a world that hates you. This world wants to grind you down. It wants to consume you. The rules change daily. Predators and threats you never imagined break like the waves against the shore of your life. You have lost so much. You have been pushed so far. They think they've got you. They're wrong. Your rarity is your armor. Your apparent insignificance is the knife they will never see. They think you're a resource. You know you're a survivor. And you know that you will always see them coming. But now, they won't see you unless you want them to. And when you do, you won't be the one having the bad day. My friend. Yes? You are such a stick fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying thing is I actually have a tattoo consultation in a couple of weeks, and there is a non-zero chance my brain will, at the end of the, the time, when she goes, so is there anything else you want? My brain will go, do it. No. Do it. No. Do it! Lord, how island stick insect! And it, yeah, in my mind, when this happens, 
the tattooist will sigh and just go, I'll get the book. And get this huge <laughs> ring binder full of Lord Howe Island stick insect designs. <laughs> so, do you do you have a story for us that does not involve copulating stick insects this week? Ooh, that's kind of a big ask. Um, <laughs> let me flip through the binder here. <laughs> so, at the start of the week, um, a uh, mysterious metallic orb fell out of the sky and into Mexico, and it was found by Mexico's uh, weirdest meteorologist. Uh, and uh, he he had a big weirdo time with it, and no one else seemed to care about the weird, mysterious, metallic orb that fell out of the sky, which, as we've established on the show as, as mutual Doctor Who fans, uh, if anyone ever goes back to watch the, the first Doctor Who story, which uh, premiered, the night that JFK was assassinated. So like mm -hmm. they almost canceled the show after episode one. And they were like, what if we reran this in like two weeks when JFK is not being assassinated and tried it again? Uh, the whole first story arc, which is like six episodes is just about Dr. Who going back and meeting a bunch of cavemen. And so across that entire arc, it's just a lot of them trying to talk about the sun, but they keep pointing at the sky and saying, orb, orb, Orb has told us that Orb would like for Orb to Orb. Uh, and so, like, there's a very specific British caveman 1969 pronunciation of Orb. Uh, and it's just the only way I can ever hear the word anymore. So, like, that's an aside on the mysterious metallic orb that fell in Mexico uh, over the weekend. I am so happy that you have brought this up because I saw the photo. <laughs> And, and I, my brain instantly went, God, I hope Brock talks about this. Yep. And and also, I I, I want to circle back around to Mexico's weirdest meteorologist. I need the league table. <laughs> I need the top three. You know what? He's got a three-word name, uh, and let's just assume each each name is its own person, uh, or its own personality <laughs> within the same person. And that's why we've got this whole thing going. So, uh, Isidro Cana Luna, that's, that's all three of him caught a mysterious uh, metallic orb that fell out of the sky and threw a bunch of trees and landed on the ground. And he's apparently the sort of guy that, like, in addition to posting his videos, which feel very much like, I'm not sure to what degree he's an actual meteorologist versus he's just, like, David Lynch reading the weather report every day for 30 <laughs> years. Like, just like, okay, well, there's a, a cold front moving through. Have a nice day. Uh, yeah. Young, attractive dude, but he only posts in all capital letters, so every dispatch from him reads, like, uh, already the rantings of a lunatic. A cold front is moving! <laughs> like, oh, I, never mind, I'm still, I'm just doing David Lynch at this point, it's fine. <laughs> so, he lives in uh, Veracruz, which is on the Gulf of Mexico, <laughs> and he found this orb that people saw fall through the night sky, and he uh, sends out a series of Facebook posts. Uh, things that are speculations, including appears to be made of a very hard plastic or an alloy of various metals and has an antenna. <laughs> it's just like, I, there's a lot of, of things here that I don't understand how they fell into the realm of meteorology, minus the fact that I suppose this counts as an actual meteor. Uh, but this man still feels very much outside of where he belongs. He said that as it fell, it emitted a sound, but no fire. He adds in the post for the first one here, personal suggestion, do not touch it or get close. It 
until it is reviewed by specialists, it may be radioactive. Oh, Jesus Christ. So, like, the leaps that this uh, social media scientist man <laughs> takes with the UFO uh, that he's discovered. Yeah, it's got an antenna. Uh, it might be radioactive. There's a lot of things here. And, like, the first post he does of this gets zero traction. Like, he, 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 gets, he gets a lot of traction just for talking about the cold fronts coming through. But, like absolutely nothing when he's like I, I a thing fell from space and i have it but don't touch it because it's angry uh, and people are just like yeah moving on so <laughs> he does a second facebook post a few hours later following up on that metallic sphere that fell on top of a tree it should not be opened or tried to be opened a specialized team at the secretary of the navy of mexico and or the secretary of national defense needs to collect it and turn it in for a special Study on the outside of the sphere, there is a code, but no hole or slit through which it could be opened. These spheres have a timing mechanism that, at a certain time, they open by themselves and show the valuable information they have inside. So he saw no one fave the tweet, and instead of deleting the tweet, was like, What if I built an entire lore? What if I constructed uh, a mechanism and a civilization and a whole. Yeah, so it's a cryptics. Uh, it fell from space. We all we all know. We've all been here before. We've all seen this kind of thing. We know what happens. There's no hole or slip, but at a certain time, like a space cuckoo clock, uh, it just it's got val it's got valuable information, and that's sort of where um, it gets picked up in various Reddit UFO things and so on and so forth. And they're like, I think this guy like. No one could have such specific information on this thing if they hadn't really like looked into it. Oh, Jesus H. Christ. Anyone can can do whatever. Like so the very funny like twist on this is that like there are like three different things currently exploding uh in our orbit. Uh there's a SpaceX capsule. Uh, and there's a Chinese spacecraft, and there's some stuff that's off, like, a satellite or a space station. Basically, like, there's different parts of the world that spent the weekend getting, like, absolutely hammered with debris from one of these three different things. And because they're all, like, sort of slowly uh, getting destroyed in, in orbit, like, they're winding up everywhere, but they're kind of mixing parts, like, you can't really tell unless you know exactly what it's from, and especially since some of these things are, like... I don't know, China's secret space program. Like, yeah, you you can't look up the metallic ball and be like, oh, that's that's the the ball bearing on on the China ship or the Tesla thing, whatever. It's fine. So this guy absolutely did catch a thing that fell out of space that there is no way of like figuring out what it is. So whatever he's doing here is just so sincere to me that he's trying to figure it out like. I, I don't believe actually that there's any part of this that was like, I'm chasing social media clout. Like a ball did fall out of the sky. He was the only one to see it. And he absolutely posted through it, which I, I sincerely love because we don't have enough movies or books about somebody encountering alien life for the first time and just posting through it. Like the closest thing I think we have is the war of the world's radio broadcast that spooked everyone. And now we have Mexico orb guy. Good on, good on that that weatherman. I love him. I love him now. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for couching it in those terms because you're right. The the kind of pure, open-hearted sincerity with that that slight undercurrent of irritation that it's an orb from space. 
no one gonna like this post? I don't get it. I found an orb from space, or it found me. There's a lot happening, and there is information inside. <laughs> it, it's a space kinder egg. Why is this not a bigger deal for you people? I, I have been this man on so many occasions. I feel, <laughs> I feel his struggle in my soul. He's he's my dude now. I'm 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 ride or die for for Mexican orb guy. <laughs> I hope that by the time this posts, that like it's actually been revealed that this was like the start of an invasion, and he was the only person that was right about this. And you know what? He was right to try to make things up to get people more excited about this. Right? Can you it? Oh, oh, my organs. See the uh, the orb is going to cause this uh, rare. A stick insect population to to repopulate like it's it's their Marvin Gaye when it opens up the sound that it makes uh, it really sets the mood. Uh. Oh continuity! Oh my god! Oh, this is the best. Do you have a carrying into the void moment for us on this magnificent story of this triumphant human and his space orb? You're fun to find. I mean, normally it's a delight just being out here hoping to find somebody like you. Some folks go their entire lives without encountering another that really makes them question everything. And baby, boy, do we have questions about you. And not having those answers and you not offering anything up, that's the best part. We're going to sit here and just look at you. Maybe talk amongst ourselves quietly while you sit there a healthy distance away. And we'll just gab, chit-chat. Just make somewhat less than educated guesses about how this whole thing happened. Because the real story, well, that's probably not a story, per se. That's just facts. That's figures and maps and timelines. And that's too boring. No, the real story is a story. Leave us guessing. Because just by looking at you, I can tell the real story is better than the truth. And don't you want to hear what we think that is? I know that I do. That is magnificent. <laughs> you you have you have perfectly encapsulated everything which teenage traumatized unable to look it in the eyes Alistair clung to in the X Files, <laughs> and n none of that kind of late season. Oh, Mulder's actually kind of a douche thing. Just that, uh, that those kind of first six years where he was just like, no, everything's real. I believe all of it, and we're going to investigate it. You mean arrest it? I mean investigate it. You mean stop it? I know what I mean. My grandmother did not like fiction, any any fiction. Just she watched the news and nothing else. She did a crossword puzzle. She did not read books. But the one thing that she loved in the world and, and like would walk out of the room if me and my grandfather started watching Star Trek or something because she thought it was nonsense. Absolutely ride or die for the X-Files and absolutely nothing else in serialized entertainment anywhere especially anything approaching that like whole just the the idea of funny goof arounds uh <laughs> of uh it, it's it was her favorite thing in the world and the episode where uh he is talking to the cockroaches uh is something she would quote from liberally and like <sighs> none of the rest of us watched x-files so it's just like grandma's talking about the cockroaches again that's what i have regarding the x-files that 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 is magnificent that is absolutely magnificent Thank you, Ruby Reese. You did an incredible job. <laughs> Do you have a self-caring into the void for us this week? Um, yeah, I'm doing a, a nature retreat later today. And by that, I mean I'm going to a city one city over, and they're going to take my phone away from me. I don't know if I'm even going outside, but I am, I'm calling it a nature retreat. Like uh, For two days, I'm just going to be 
not accessible or on, on Twitter, and I'm sure I will find a way to sneak through, but like, yeah, I think I'm actually going to like a lake or the woods or something. Like I, I've depended on some people that were like, this will be good for you. And I'm like, I understand what you're saying and what you're, what you're offering, but also it just sounds like you're like, please, you need to be a little less online and we're just going to take your phone. Like there's no other plan. Like this promise of a lake and the sunshine, that's, that's not real. Like we're just <laughs> 48 hours without a post. That's all the world needs. We actually want to gift ourselves this and your friends this. Like no one wants to unfollow you, but also like, ooh. Come on, man. <laughs> that sounds magnificent. And I, the, the, the lake thing works. As someone who spent a weekend on a bay a little while ago and actually felt my heart rate drop, it, it does genuinely work. What are you doing for self-care? I, I have basically stupidity. Seriously. Do something whimsical. <clears throat> Stick Google eyes on something. Sing Gold Digger by Kanye West in Eric Cartman's voice. You know, which is, is all, that's actually a surprisingly great barometer for my mood. Anytime that gets, that gets busted out and it's, it's somehow it's, it's in there subconsciously. Anytime that, that, that gets busted out, I catch myself usually on the second line. So like, she takes my money, you guys. And normally at that exact point, I go, oh, I'm actually feeling quite good today. Jolly good. Do some do something whimsical, cause there's a lot of stuff that really fucking isn't at the moment, and whimsy is armor, and sometimes it's a tool you can use to make the world a better place. So do it. And seriously, Gold Digger maps onto Cartman's voice perfectly, as does War Pigs by by Black Sabbath. Although I'm I'm sure I've told you this before, I am not allowed to sing that after I figured this out and spent an entire weekend, every few hours, just going method. Method, and I think on on the fourth one, Marguerite was like, "I love you," and the, that was what she said. And the tone of voice was, "I know where you sleep." Well, it's also the "I love you" of like, "Hey, if you're experiencing brain death, I need you to like make that a slightly different sound than whatever this is." Breathe with me, big guy. Come on. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. Although it now strikes me that I'm on my own for a week, so that's absolutely going to happen. <sighs> I think I think my wife gets to do that with me when I uh, decide that a song needs to be sung uh, as a cover uh, performed by the band Cake. <laughs> oh, oh, good choice. She asked for a 13, but he drew a 31. The friends say he's trying too hard and he's not quite hip. But in his own mind, he's the, he's the dopest trip. Give it to me, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And all the girlies say he's pretty fly for a white guy. <laughs> it's important to always do what the trumpets part would be there. So, yeah, that's Kate covering the offspring. I, I have a lot of imaginary Kate covers in my head. Oh, I have unraveled. Oh, thank you. Oh, I needed that so badly. <laughs> I'm just so delighted that cake is like, uh, that's my Cartman. My Cartman is cake. Uh, it's like, yes, we all have one musician that we would like to hear cover everything. And that's where our brain goes when we experience cortex death in the middle of our day. And we just make the sounds out loud. <laughs> oh, I know what I'm listening to for the rest of the day. Oh. <laughs> Smash cut to a week from now. Hi, honey. I'm back from Minnesota. Look what I figured out how to do. Look, this is from Brock. <laughs> oh, please never tell Marguerite that I've gifted you anything. A concept, a show. I, I, you, you, your secret dies with me and all our listeners. 
That's actually an incredible sign-off for this show, probably. Your secret dies with me and the rest of <laughs> and us. And all our listeners. Now, um, do you have a sharing into the void as well? Uh, so, like, this one isn't hyper-specific, but so I, I signed up to support a Video Game Archive Foundation about a year ago, and once per month they mail me a well-packaged, well-preserved uh, video game magazine from, like, the 80s or 90s or early oh 2000s. Uh, like a, a Game Informer or a Game Player or a Nintendo Power. And I'd sort of just been piling them up and been like, that's very funny that there's a cover for that thing. Uh, but I actually sat down and started flipping through them and experienced the waves of nostalgia of, uh, <laughs> for some of you too young, like we used to have a monthly magazines and that's where we'd learn about video games because we couldn't play demos or watch YouTube. Uh, and so you just have to look at like eight pictures of a thing and be like, Yes, this new Resident Evil thing. I think it's going to go places. So in reading it, it's um, it's fun to look back on this. Is that like, it's hard to do video games writing without being like, this is like the most impressive thing that has ever technologically yeah. happened, and like this is gonna play for more hours than a thing has ever played. You're gonna get like two goddamn hours out of this game. Like, yeah, <laughs> I said two, two and a half maybe. Like, there's so much to do. And you might be able to replay it even that, like, it's crazy. There's so much going on here. Everything is written in this way that's like, this is the most important, best thing that has ever happened. And, like, it, to read about, like, in a Super Nintendo game, like, wow, this is the closest that we've ever experienced to, like, realism. Like, this is basically like being inside of a movie. Yeah, we're talking about Pugsley's Scavenger Hunt, the Adams <laughs> Family spinoff game. And it's like... Yeah, all right, man. Like, I, I so I think when I got started into that rabbit hole of this, I was sort of dunking on the idea of like, wow, at every time we're just always like, this is the most important thing. And maybe then dunking on the idea of journalism having to do that always that like everything has to be the most everything ever. But now I'm just sort of like, isn't that sort of fun? To, to always be on the cusp of something and to just be able to be that excited, like, wow, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And, like, if I showed that to somebody under the age of 30 right now, they would be like, that's nothing. I don't see anything. Like, <laughs> and to be like, for one man that wrote this story in 1997, like, it destroyed his marriage. That's how exciting it was to him. He left his family. Like, he went out for cigarettes and came back with Pugsley's scavenger hunt, and there was no one there. Like, that's, like the, so, like, I, I don't know. I'm sort of writing this high off the excitement of people from 1995, and everything was the best, most important thing that had ever happened, and there's no cynicism whatsoever. So I, I think that the real takeaway is, is that it is really interesting now, as an adult, to understand how adults perceived the things from my childhood at the time that yeah. my childhood was happening. Because to read an adult's review of Sonic the Hedgehog 3 uh, and, and have an adult man really diving into whether or not he felt like Knuckles is too cynical of a character with bad uh, mechanics, uh, it's, it's a very funny perspective on, on something that like I had no wording or phrasing or structure for. So... I don't know. I, it, the, this sort of led me down a rabbit hole of also like looking up movie reviews for things that were in my childhood. Like, I, I, it's amazing how many film critics really, really love the Mighty Ducks in a way that I'm like, yeah, wow, they have like good adult thoughts on this. Uh, Emilio Estevez DUI comedy for children. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, it's. I, 
incredible. So uh, that's 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 that is the 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 sharing is also a self caring to just like go back and and see what see what adults thought of your childhood from a distance. It's really really interesting when you're an adult, uh, and I think it changes my ideas of nostalgia in in only fun ways. Like it's like it, it's very funny to imagine an adult man just like really fucking angry at knuckles <laughs> yeah i don't know that's that's my my long-winded one of like go back and look up your childhood what do you got for sharing into the void this week i have finally seen a movie which i was worried i wouldn't love and i actually loved more than i thought i would which is great um i finally watched the lost city the sandra bullock channing tatum flick and it is everything i hoped it would be um this is Sandra Bullock is a very successful romance novelist, and you can tell the script has been written by someone who doesn't know what authors do. Yep. Because her publisher is also her agent and uh, has booked her on a tour, and it's a multi million dollar tour, which also seems to be happening at conventions. And she also has to do events with her cover model, played by Channing Tatum, continuing his ongoing plan to become an actual human Labrador. And, um,. She is kidnapped by Daniel Radcliffe, a man playing an evil billionaire, and in fact actually playing Daniel Radcliffe, visibly shivering with joy at being in a movie like this <laughs> to try and track down a treasure. And of course, Channing Tatum's character goes after her, and hilarity genuinely does ensue. Um, Brad Pitt's in it briefly. He has more fun than I think he's had in years. Radcliffe is a fucking delight he actually gets to deliver the line, kill him creatively. I love seeing jocks fail at one point, which <laughs> is, is just the burn of burns. And, and I'd forgotten just how good Sandra Bullock is at, oh, oh God, could we not? Could we please not? <laughs> kind of laconic delivery. She, she, she takes the line, is this a taken situation? Am I token? And adds multiple levels to it that I never thought possible. It's a delight. Um, it's very, very funny. It's very sweet. And, uh, yeah, I dug the shit out of it. So, uh, I've been super stoked to see it because, um, it is written and directed by Aaron and Adam Knee, who are known as the Knee Brothers. Uh, and in 2015, they released an indie film that they made for $20,000 called Band of Robbers, which is a super indie movie starring them that is an adaptation of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn in a modern retelling uh, where they've grown up, uh, but they're like just small-time crooks in a small town, uh, still looking for Mural's treasure that's eluded them since childhood. <laughs> Uh, so like there's it's basically like a Twain multiverse story where everyone is in the same town, but like in modern day. And like it, it was one of those things that I saw and was like, this is very singular and and an insane idea. And I immediately like reached out to them to be like, do you want to do an interview? And they were like, yes, no one else has asked us to do this. So it's been very funny to watch them become the sort of people that can make a Daniel Radcliffe, Sandra Bullock comedy for Hollywood, for a giant audience, and just be like, good, they've really earned this, and I love them so dearly. So um, it's it's what would happen if anyone uh, gave us a shit about them as much as people give a shit about Daniels uh, from everything. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if the indie film community had uh, gotten together behind Band of Robbers, uh, they'd be Daniels now. But instead, they've made The Lost City, and that's great. I love that for them. It seems like it takes a lot less out of you. <laughs> 
it it does all it it has my favorite uh oh god we've just killed someone scene i think ever as well it's really that's really good (laughs) there's this whole sequence where bullock and tatum are talking about how they've clearly just thrown a couple of guys off a cliff and they're trying to find they're trying to justify ways to to be okay with it and at one point, Bullock goes, I'm, I'm sure they're fine. And in a voice that is part horror, part I am about to be sick, Channing Tatum somehow manages to be jocular and, no, they're, they're, they're not. But anyway, <laughs> uh, I, and just for, for a man who looks like an amiable slice of beef to be so clearly going, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, is just inherently endearing. It's, it's just lovely to I, see. I, there's nothing that I would not watch that fuckable potato in. I, I adore him so goddamn much. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for joining us. We love doing this show. You may be able to tell. If you liked it, please leave a review on uh, your podcatcher of choice or, you know, a wall, whichever. Uh, and also, please consider picking up some of our merchandise. Who does our merchandise? I'm very glad I pretended to hear you ask. Jordan Shively, our brother in podcasting and frequent host in these here parts, is also a designer and writer par excellence. I just use French. That's how good Jordan is. And there is a bunch of CITV merchandise over there, which you should just use to improve your lives. So do check out Void Merch. Do join us next time. Thank you so much for joining us now. Uh, Brock, where can folks find you on the online? Oh, at Brock Wilbur on most platforms uh, and uh, BrockWilbur.com. Where can people find you? You can find me at Alistair Stewart on Twitter and AlistairStewart.com, which is in the process of having a pretty chunky rebuild. It's got a voice reel on there soon and everything. It's going to be great. Oh, God damn. Right? I did acting. More than one type of it. Uh, I've, In fact, just before we fully wrap up, um, I, my all-time favorite exchange with a voice actor friend of mine was at one point I emailed them and said, Sarah, do you ever worry if you have range or whether you're just speaking more loudly? And they responded with, every day, buddy. Every day. (laughs) And on that note, I just want to say thank you once again for listening. Thank you to Brock for being just amazing. And we will see you next time. In the meantime, please remember to keep your hearts dark and true and your teeth sharp and many. And we will see you next time in the void. Bye, 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 bye. (laughs) 